Welcome to Dystopian Worlds. I'm Hannah. I'm Hannah. And I'm Caroline. Today's episode is about what utopian society should look like that leads to conflict, how and how the characters would react, and how you the readers would react. I think we should let our guests go first, Caroline. Okay, so um, I say competing notions could probably cause conflict when someone is like they're really passionate about. Um, changing something in the society and they really want it to happen and they think it would be so much greater for everyone else Mm -hmm. and so like other people may not want that yeah yeah so like that could like really cause conflict and i don't know i don't really know how my characters would react i think they would just like (laughs) like just not they wouldn't get involved with it and kind of like back away yeah they would just yeah they would just kind of be like reserved and they wouldn't want like to get involved with it or like I could kind of see the characters in my book trying to help with the conflict or like somewhat getting involved Mm -hmm. and I don't I'm not really sure how I will react like I would probably just react like it was just like any other conflict in the book in a book and just you know keep reading now what if it's like this giant like government society conflict what do you think you do then um I'm not sure did you, like, just forget it, or, like... Well, I mean, I feel like... I'm just gonna, like, budge in real quick. But mm-hmm. I would be, like, scared at first, you know? Yeah. Really... Yeah, like, I would get kind of anxious as to what would happen. I don't think I'd do anything, because, yeah. I mean, we're still pretty young. Yeah. Can't do much of anything, but mm-hmm. you could at least, like, try. Yeah. Like, you could try and help out a little bit. Like, communities, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Okay, um, do you have any questions for her? Um, so are there any teams so far that, what you've read? Well, okay, so in my book, Uglies by Scott Westerfeld, there is pretties and there are uglies. Now, like, the, like, when you turn 16 in the book, you have an operation done to make you pretty. Mm-hmm. And, um, so those are, I would consider those teams because they're set, like, they're very separated. And it's a very like, there's Uglies Town and there's New Pretty Town, oh. so they're very they're very separated. Uglies can't go um, into New Pretty Town, but Pretties can come visit like friends in the in where the Uglies live. That's interesting. Mm. Is so is there anybody that? Oops, sorry. Is there anybody <laughs> that's trying to like rebel against this? Well, one of the characters, Tally, she wanted to go visit. Her friend Paris, because they had been friends since like, since they were like two, three, um, and she tried to go visit, and they were actually having there was a party in the streets, and there there were masks like falling off of people's faces because they were like adhesive to their face. There wasn't like a strap that held it on, so they fell off, and she took one, and she went into one of the um, party towers, and she tried went to find her friend Paris. But, um, she knew she wasn't going to get caught, and so they went to the top of the tower, and she set off a fire alarm, Mm -hmm. and she, they had, like, these bungee things, like, if you had to jump off the building if there was a fire. Yeah. And so she grabbed one of those, she jumped off the building, and she ran back to where she lived. Now, is Paris an ugly or a pretty? She's, he's a pretty. I said she. It's Uh, a, it's a he. Oh, I'm sorry. It is a he. So he's a... Pretty. Yes. Oh, okay. He's, he's older than her by, like, I think, like, three months. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. Has there been any fights in the story or anything? Um, like, physical or verbal? 
Or both. Maybe both. both, yeah. Not really, not yet, no. All really? Right. Yeah. I find that, like, probably most of these books yeah. would have some, like, tension or action. Yeah, I'm sure it'll build up to that as well. Yes. So, yeah. Okay, um... All right, so... In y'all's book, my book was um, The Hunger Games, you know, the classic yes, by the Suzanne classic. Collins. And um, so competing notions of what a utopian society, society <laughs> should look like. Um, well, I said that it's supposed to be this perfect place, you know, and everyone's supposed mm-hmm. to not uh, care what they think or right. they, you know, they're like, oh, everything's pretty, perfect, we don't care it's clean right. you know there's mm-hmm. no crimes everyone gets long but that's not really how things go yeah. because people don't just like they don't agree all the time you know you're gonna disagree with somebody yeah. you can't all live in a perfect society where mm-hmm. everyone agrees on everything yeah you can't control exactly exactly time. so like that just adds to the crime and what happens in a dystopian novel... Yeah, that just causes more conflict. Oh my gosh, yes. And so, um, my character Katniss, um, she, you know, she's through, she's going through this arena, the Hunger Games, and she's gonna have to survive through this to win and get money and house and a prize for her family, you know, Mm -hmm. for her district. And so I think whenever I was reading this, and I was about when conflict came, you know, serious, like, events came up, Mm -hmm. I thought, like, she's... She takes a step back, you know, and yeah. she's like, well, what, hold on, what can I do to solve this? What can I do to get away from here? So she's more of a thinker before she, like, does it, you know? Yeah. And she's a very, she's a very smart person, you mm-hmm. know, she really thinks She's about, being cautious about her decisions. Oh, yeah, she's very cautious, and she's yeah. like, what can I do? What do I know mm-hmm. what I can do? Um, but for me, oh, Lord, I'd be so scared. I would not know what to do whatsoever. Yeah, me <laughs> you too. Know, right, I, right, I'd right. be scared, but I, I think I'd find a way to, like, think about what could I do, yeah. what could I do to help at least, not just to stop yeah. it. Yeah. Alright, so I'm gonna ask a question. Okay. So, what what part of the book made you feel, like, the most anxious so far? Okay, that's really hard, because most of this book has gotten me, like, yeah. my stomach in a knot, but mm-hmm. I think whenever, okay, so whenever, um, she and Rue, this little girl mm-hmm. who's also, she's District 11, and Katniss, I know, it's District 12, and she's this little girl, she's like 12, you know, she's, yeah. she, you don't, you don't think, you don't look at her and be like, yeah, you go in the games, you know, yeah, well, I they're watching se- that movie. yeah, so they have these campfires, and they're like, okay, so we're gonna get these, there's a group called the Careers, and there's like these, they're very muscular oh, yeah. people, you know, I've watched the movie, so I know, yeah, yeah, very muscular, about. very big, and so they kill off people that they can't in packs, well, they lead the pack off, and they have this food, like a source of food, and then dynamite around it, or it's like explosive stuff, mm-hmm. because one of their, um, what do you call them, tributes in that little thing, yeah. um, he's very good with, like, uh, building stuff. Mm-hmm. So, she was like, okay, well, I gotta, we gotta, the only way to really take down this group, this large group, just the two of us, is to take away their food source, because mm-hmm. they can't last long yeah. without food. Yeah. So... Yeah, really. <laughs> and so Katniss is like, you know what? You're gonna build the fires. You're gonna lead them to the fires, and I'm gonna try to blow it up. So you know, the whole deer. She comes, she blows it up, and she goes back to the fires. Well, she knows that the third they had three fires, and she lit up blew, um what's her name Rue, lit up the two fires, and then she's supposed to blow up the third one. So the third one's not lit. 
beforehand, Rue taught her this little um, four uh, whistle note, you know, like, hey, I'm okay, I'm here. Yeah. So she whi- Katniss whistles it around, and she doesn't get a response back. And she's like, oh, shoot. And I'm like, oh, shoot. Oh, yeah. And I think I already knew it was coming because I've seen the movie before. And so mm-hmm. I had an image of like, oh, yeah, I know what's going on. But, you yeah. know, it didn't really hit me until um, whenever she saw her in this, like, like a nest not a nest but like what do you call them god nets nets not a nest and she's trapped and you know she's trying to call her name out trying to get her done i'm done you know and she gets shot in the side with a poison i remember reading this part yeah and i'm like oh god no yeah i remember reading that part and it just destroyed me because i'm like this is a 12 year old we're talking about Mm -hmm. and so that brought me down but another thing which really got my stomach in a turn i know i'm talking too much but it's fine okay you gotta get 10 minutes it's fine oh 10 minutes okay so (laughs) makes for a good podcast i know so she okay so this is towards the end of the book and she and Peta are on the little um what do you the corn oak how do you say it uh, but the little center thing where they start off, yeah. they're on top of the, the building, because mm-hmm. the guy, was his name, Kato? I think it's Kato. The the big, well, he's, he's like one of the main uh, career guys, you know? He's the one that he's like the leader. He's mm-hmm. made for this, you know? Yes. Well, they're fighting, and it's just the three of them, and at this time, you know, the president was like, yeah, you can do teams. Well, he doesn't have his partner anymore, because she died. Mm-hmm. So, they're fighting him, and he falls off well she shoots him in the hand because he's got Peter in a headlock and you know this kid's like almost lost his leg and stuff and so he's god bless him <laughs> you know he's god like having trouble him. and so he like makes an x on his hand where he's like holding him and she shoots him in the hand and he falls like backwards well these mutts that these hybrid mutts things that the um hold on it's the the game makers yeah that's what it is they sent these mutts down and apparently Katniss thinks that they're, like, a mix between the dead tributes and, like, these hybrid, like, wolf things. Because they got the intelligence of the tribute. They got the eyes and the hair color and everything. And so, whenever Kato goes down, they, like, like, I don't know, like, they're, I don't know if they're, like, playing with him. You know, like, how dogs get really rough. Mm -hmm. But they're, like, slowly, like, hurting him. Not killing him instantly, but, like, playing around with him and trying to, like... I don't know, rip his limbs off, and I was like, ooh! Wow. And so whenever, and usually stuff like that when I read it, I'm just like, oh yeah, you know. I mean, I read the entire Hunger Games, so I mean, it it shouldn't bother me now, but Mm -hmm. when I read that, I was like, oh god, they're having to watch this, and then try to figure Mm -hmm. out, like, what to do, how to survive, and I was just like, that makes my stomach turn. But, Mm -hmm. yeah, that really freaks me out. Thank you. All right, Hannah, would you like to come? I said a Eutypius is... Society should look um, like something like perfect, but nothing can be perfect. So that's what causes mm-hmm. conflict with mm-hmm. it. My uh, characters in my book react to conflict by fighting people. Like if somebody, mm-hmm. if they're not in the like society part that they're in, yeah. then other people come in there and like start like <laughs> and start like. <laughs> coming after them trying to find these people that are the divergent Mm -hmm. they can they other like other societies will put them under like the simulation thing that like messes with their mind Mm -hmm. and will like put them on each other and like kill them and everything (laughs) and so they but the divergent can't go under the simulations they get out of it 
And so the main character, the main two characters are them, and they, well, in one of the parts, they um, threw in gas, which was a simulation thing, mm -hmm. and then there were, um, the main character, Triss, went and to find the other divergents and let them get safe. Mm -hmm. Well, the, um, Edith, I can't pronounce one of the society's names, but, mm. um, they came in, some of their guards and everything came in, and they were finding the divergent ones and, like, going to kill them. Mm -hmm. They found the main Triss, but she saved one girl before she got found, mm -hmm. and then she... She was about to be shot by this, um, oh, yeah. by one oh, of my. these people that, like, she used to be friends with, because mm -hmm. he, like, turned on him and everything, yeah, and then is. she, um, she fought back, and she, she almost killed him, but it didn't work, because it, oh. she, all she had was a pocket knife, yeah. mm -hmm. but she had to watch this, like, eight-year-old divergent boy um, get shot in the head. Oh, right God. Oh, God, It no. was, like, I got scared, like, even reading that part. Wow. Wow, that's intense. Wow. But I would, I would react the same way by fighting back. Yeah. If they're, like, if I know that I can, like, beat them in some way. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. I do agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. So, besides the kid getting shot, is, besides there, the kid getting shot. is anything else gory happen? Like, anything that makes your stomach turn? It's okay, take your time. It's fine. It's fine. Um, what about something that makes you, like, what about anxious or you're, like, worried? Worried? Yeah. Would mm -hmm. be when um, she finds, a, like, she goes and she, when they're under simulation in the first book, mm -hmm. um, they, she has to, like, it scared me when I found out about this, and I got like, I almost started crying oh my God, because she, um, they were <laughs> under simulation, but um, her and her parents and brother couldn't like this. They were the divergent people; they mm -hmm. couldn't go under them. Well, her parents um, like fought off the people who were trying to like get to her and her brother. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they ended up um, dying. Oh, no. But then one of her best friend, his name was Will, she, he came up and trying to like attack her, and she had to um, shoot him. And she felt so bad about oh, that. Her best friend. Her best friend. Best friend. Oh, that sucks. But they, he didn't know like that he was under simulation or anything, yeah. mm -hmm. so he couldn't do anything about it. Mm. And she couldn't do anything about that either. Man, that really sucks. I'm sorry it to hear does. that. Yeah. It, it scared me a lot. Mm -hmm. Oh, really, yeah. That's all, folks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dystopian Worlds with Hannah. And Hannah. And Caroline. Um, today, we talked about what a utopian society should look like and how it leads to conflict and how the characters would react as well as the reader in our novels. Um, um, my uh, book was The Hunger Games by Susan Collins. Mine was Insurgent by Veronica Roth. And mine was Uglies by Scott Westerfeld. Bye. 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 <laughs> this is Dystopian Worlds, and we're your hosts, Caleb, Jason, and Colin, here to give you the scoop on how our favorite characters in our reading are suffering. 
We're reading Ready Player One by Ernest Cline. Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury. <laughs> and uh, Animal Farm by George Orwell. All right, let's get right into the answer from. That's the frequency. Let's just jump into it. <laughs> no way! All right, question. How do competing notions of what a utopian society should look like lead to conflict? How do the characters in your novel react to conflict, and how would you react? All the animals in my book, besides the pigs, are dumb, so they don't really react to conflict. Do they have any competing notions of society? No. Oh. Except for the pigs, they, they just want to be in control. The rest are like, okay, you do whatever, kill us. For... <laughs> whatever all right what about you jason all right so instead of reacting to the conflict they start conflict you know why because they commit arson oh that's an interesting what a pleasant arson is legal in their world oh. is it an anarchy no it's like they burn books because or they burn like censored books that they discover people have no so it's like yeah in my book the reality of society is basically completely online in the oasis that's where real life is and by winning the easter egg you get to control society so everyone in this book trying to get the egg has competing notions of society oh it sounds so weird when you're stating it out loud everyone trying to get the egg I yeah, get the egg to win. No <laughs> I apologize. Imagine like your your purpose in life is to get the egg. <laughs> like you're born to get the egg. That's the entire reason of your existence. The entire Just human invent a dinosaur like a, a time machine to travel back and get a dinosaur egg. <laughs> All right, let's get into some questions. Uh, Colin, what are your heroes' views on Utopia? Uh... I mean, I mean, there's no one really in my in my book a hero, because the people who are viewed as heroes by the animals are actually selfish and uh, symbolic for Joseph Stalin, and he wasn't really much of a hero, if I recall. So, mm -hmm. I understand. Very elaborate. Yeah. What about you, Jason? Are there any heroes in your book? And if so, what are their viewpoints on Utopia? So. There are no heroes. The utopia that they view is that, um, it's, cool. it's the world they live in right now, burning books. So their world currently is their utopia, but it is, in fact, actually a dystopia because yes. of the arson. That makes a lot of sense. If, every, if they're all burning books, who's writing the books? Do you know skeletons. What? Oh. <laughs> the skeletons are like, this is for me dying. I'm just going to write this book in <laughs> library. Jason, library. Here, library. There. Do you have any questions for us? Um, what do you like about your novel? I like how symbolic it is about the Russian Revolution. That's why I picked this book, because I kind of like history. And, you know, it's t it talks about, like, a dark time in Russia. I mean, it'd be bad for the people who lived there, but a hundred years later, it's kind of funny to learn about it through an animal's point of view, you know? Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Makes yeah. you, like, forget of all the suffering and stuff. Yeah. So, so what if some people, you know, die? Yeah, you can yeah. It ha it happens. accidents happen. Yeah. Sometimes it's on purpose. Uh -oh. <laughs> um, in my book, I like it because of the kind of parallel to our real world now. It's set in the future instead of being set in like an alternate universe, even though it technically is. Isn't but every it's, book in an alternate universe, Caleb? Well, no, not yeah. autobiographies. How do you feel? So, 
Yeah, it just works. It's like this is the path that we're gonna end up on in the future when they're here. You're for color. Do you have any questions? Oh, uh, let's see. All right, are, are any of the people in your book symbolic of anything that you think are symbolic of anything? Do you think anyone's symbolic for anything? No. Well, in this book, it's maybe not symbolism, but there is like kind of an allusion to the like well-known um, movie, like with the Willy Wonka movies. It's like I'm gonna say an allusion to the movie. <laughs> I was gonna have to check you there for a second, Caleb. Yeah, the the person that says the Easter egg is somewhere to Willy Wonka, and Parzival, the hero of the book, is like Charlie trying to get to like, and the Oasis is like his golden ticket to try to get the egg. What about you, Jason? I guess um, I guess you're kind of right, cause I mean, look at I mean, you can't really see. But like on the cover of the book, it's just like uh, RV on RV on RV on RV. It's kind of like where Charlie lives, or like you know he lives in that house where like the gaping hole in his window. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's gonna like people are like, oh, you, you gotta live childhood. He's not gonna live through childhood. He's gonna get pneumonia because of that gaping hole in his window. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, the question. Yeah. All right, we're going to close off this podcast. Thank you to our wonderful authors for creating these interesting reads for us to dive into today. Until next time, keep reading and try to stay away from getting trapped into a dystopia. Bye. Hello. My, uh, welcome to another episode of Dystopian Worlds. I'm Kashal. My book is The Giver by Lois Lowry, and this is Dalton. Yeah, I'm Dalton, and I'm reading Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury. He was an American author and screenwriter and worked in a variety of genres, including fantasy, science fiction, horror, and mystery fiction. Alright, so that seems nice. I like horror and all this really I good, too. I like horror. Horror is just weird to oh, me. That's what the weak stomachs always I like mystery, say. though. You know, mystery, yeah. You know, the flash and all stuff. So, yeah. let's go on to the big question here, and that is, how do competing notions of a u of what a utopian society should look like lead to a conflict? How did the characters in your novel react to conflict, and how would you react? So, my answer was when the notions went to someone. Uh, the answer to how do competing notions of what a, u a, ut a utopian society should look like lead to a conflict? It's when that notion would lead to or would limit a someone, such as their men mental capacity and the giver. Uh, people cannot love, and that's a strange thing, because, you know, love um, helps you. Love can make you weak, but it, it's, but it can also make you very strong. And they also have no color, and limiting color in life would seem uh, a little weird, like considering... Like imagination. Yeah, exactly, and, like, e even though it may lead to conflict about races, uh, you can also see, like, the beauty of everything else around you, you know, like the red carpet... Here's my, like, here's, let me see something. So, this is, like, if you try to be, if it's, if it's trying, like, if you're trying too hard to be a utopian society and you're trying to change things too much, it can change other people, and you, if those people are living fine in their own utopian society, they don't need to change. You don't need to change. I mean. That's right. Everything could be perfectly fine. Yeah, you know. You could create conflict so by trying people to make all the time trying. It's never good to. Uh, what I'm trying to say is, it's never good to do something other people aren't willing to do. Like you know, in some societies, people people have to kill one another. You know, sometimes right? change is just too much for some people. Yeah, and sometimes conflict can lead to, uh, you know, very bad decisions. Like.
when many people decide that, you know, being a certain color or a certain, like, a certain type of person is too much, they tend to try to kill them or at the very least try to close them off from their own society, you know. It's really upsetting to think that many people would just, you know, rather kill or not or run away from their changes instead of facing them and embracing them. Even though it might be scary, change is always, most of the time, very good. Like the industrial, the industrial revolution that brought very many good changes to our society. So my character uh, Jonas, uh, he re uh, uh, he reacts to conflict by um, not embracing it and not running away from it either. He ran away from one, but that's because he he didn't he couldn't understand it. What he did uh, to change, uh, he reacted to conflict by escaping his utopian society, her uh, air quotes on on utopian society, to, a, to another place. And the people, once he did that, the memories of, every, of the past were given back to the community, which is his society. Uh, his society is called the community. And how would I react if I had done that? I would be really scared. I mean, going away from home, you know, not very, kid, not very many kids in America would do that, but I would know. In other countries, and it's really cruel, you know, escaping harassment, escaping a lot of things, a lot of uh, monsters in your life, you would run away. And I think Jonas, along with the influence of the giver, his mentor, uh, basically is, he feels like a paternal figure to him, I believe. He, so Jonas to escape because he d did not want Jonas to have a life of limits, of, of limitations. Okay, can I ask you this one question? So, what kind? Would you say it's an internal or external conflict? It's uh, it's internal, because of what's going on in the in the society. It made him into it forced him to go to another place, and that sort of you know brought many things come to life. I don't. So here's my question: How would competing notions of what is utopian society should look like to conflict in your book Fahrenheit four fifty one? So really, the main conflict of my book is just it's more of a internal conflict it's struggle against oppressive dystopian uh, oppressive dystopian world and montag loves his job as a fireman and thinks that there's nothing wrong with burning books but then when it actually comes to like seeing it and like experiencing how, it yeah experiencing it he doesn't like it does he it does he, it just changes so just how what a fireman is in this i i know what fire is fireman is in our society but what is a fireman in there's a site. Is it the same thing as our fireman here, or yeah, basically? basically? So he puts up fires, or yeah. He... So I, I thought he burned books. Okay, so uh, let's just go on to another topic here. Okay, so Don, how does your character um, react to conflict in the the main character in your story? Not more of a reaction. It's just more of a. It's like a Slowly happens. Ah, you know so I mean? uh, describe who the main character is in uh, in the Fahrenheit 451. Montag, uh, he has a job as a fireman, similar to uh, Guy Montag, here. I believe is is am I right? Yeah, Guy Montag. Okay, so Guy Montag, he I'm I'm looking right now, and he's the protagonist of Fahrenheit 451. He by no means a perfect hero, however. 
He rear consumes with his mission by with the steps he takes towards his goal, often clumsy and misguided. So uh, describe um describe his uh, like a what his like how he le how he goes how he leaps to how he takes toward his goal, uh, often some clumsy and misguided. Describe that part to me. So he doesn't like just go straight forward. He's you know how like. Okay, I'm sorry for that long pause, but, so, I'm trying to think of the word. So, it's more of just, he takes small steps towards it. Do you know what I mean? Hmm. Like, he's, he stutters to go to, he stutters to go towards his problem, or not problems, the, to save somebody, to be a hero. Ah, very nice, y'all. Sorry. So what we're going to do next is that we're going to talk about uh, whatever what 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 anything else is in his in the, in the story. So we're going to, so we'll be talking about the three opening questions. All right. So let's start one. So Dalton, my question about your book is: Has it reached a point uh, that is very extreme, or like something that it's out of the ordinary? Well, uh, since I haven't read much, well. I have read a lot of it, but I haven't really got much of it read because it's a big book to me. Yeah, <laughs> but um, I haven't really reached the climax. Ah, um, but it's I'm getting there. All right, so here's another question for your book: How does your character react to what he does? Like, does he appreciate this? Does he like his society? Yeah. Well, yes. It doesn't really bother him. To him, it's not. It's just normal. It's not. Yeah, yeah like he was born him. in it. You know, nothing's wrong to it for him. Yeah, well, well, nothing's wrong with it to him. Um, but however, other people, it is wrong. Yes, because it's it's not the normal for some people. I would. You understand? I was. Yeah. Okay. So now what I'm going to do is I'm gonna ask one last question. That question is going to be. Uh, okay, so that question is going to be. So, one, my one last question is, what does the fire represent in Fahrenheit 451? The wrath of God, or like on books? Like, is it hellfire? Because, you know, there's also symbolic meaning of the fire, like, you know, hellfire, which is basically fire from hell, you know, that punishes people, or, or um, the wrath of God, which is basically the God punishing people people mainly is the burning of the books oh, okay so uh okay that's good to know so what does the conflict change in your book like the conflict changed like um like who does it, who does it change what does it change he, it, 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 most most really it changes jonas and uh what does it change or how the uh jonas changed the conflict and the conflict is changed because he soon realizes that his per that his perfect community is not very perfect. In fact, there's a deep dark secret that no one knew about, and he discovers some things that uh, wasn't meant for the whole society, only meant for people like him. And he he, he realizes the truth about death, love, color. Like he experiences so many things that the other members of the community, his society, did not know about or even knew existed. But see, there was a quote in the text which really scared me. Because Jonas asked his dad, Dad, do you love me? His mother rebuked him and said, Jonas, that 
that word is no longer used. It has no meaning. And he soon realizes that his parents are just working as parents. They're not really his parents. His true, the only person that, he, that he, I believe he had a true paternal uh, connection to was the giver. And the giver uh, showed him right from wrong and told him a lot of, and they had like a jolly good talk. Oh, sorry, a jolly good time together. So, how does the conflict occur? Well, uh, I, I just told you, it occurs when he becomes the receiver of memory. He, he realizes the truth, like, he's, like, the giver implants his memories of the past into the receiver of memory, which would be Jonas. And from there, he goes down, and he realizes the truth. He is, like, conflicted by all these emotions. He has strange emotions. He never felt love. You know, okay. he he had so, felt so much love for this child uh, named Gabe, and... And the really sad thing is that his dad was trained to kill babies in fantasy. Okay. Yeah, so That's and kind of and a... on in their place, it's called being released. And release means you're gonna die. So he was gonna release Gabe, but because Gabe was disruptive, you know, abnormal. Jonas being so smart of the guy, he takes baby and on a sled and goes into the middle of nowhere. He saves his life. Now, I know what happens to him, but I'm not going to spoil it for the rest of the people. So, uh, any more questions you want for me? So, like, what... How does the main plot have to do with the conflict? Uh, the main plot have to do with conflict, so, well, like, So, what does the main plot have to do with the conflict, if you know what I mean? Do you understand? Or just how... How does it... How does the conflict take the plot and just turn it in a different direction? Alright, so, in the beginning, Jonas is an innocent little boy, and the conflict was, in the beginning, was that if he, if he was going to do well in the, in, the, in the ceremony of 12. Basically, when they're 12, they get assigned jobs, and that's their life for the, and that's their entire life for the community. However, when he gets skipped, uh, when he gets skipped um, by the chief elder, the leader of the community, his society, uh, he feels really disturbed. However, the chief elder says that he would have the most special job in the community, and he'd be the receiver of memory. And it went down from there, and you know, he got he he saw he saw he saw death, and that really disturbed him. And you know, it went it went all down from that. You know, so he didn't like know that kind of stuff. No, he no no one in their community other than maybe three members of the community had no idea what uh, had an idea what death was, and I was the chief elder. The giver, or the, the giver and the receiver memory, that, and that was it. Wow. Yeah. It's interesting. It really is. And so, um, this concludes our second podcast of Dystopian Worlds. I'm Kishal, my book is The Giver by Lois Lowry. And, and let me tell you a little summary about it. It's about a boy named Jonas who um, discovers, who has a gift that no one else does, and he gets trained and he yet and he receives the memories of past givers uh, of the past basically he sees memories of the past that people that the people in their society should not ha- have known about and my name is Dalton and I was reading Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury which a guy named Montag guy Montag he was a firefighter and 
the conflict definitely changed his life, and he didn't really care for the conflicts that were in his dystopian world, but then when it actually occurred to him what was happening, it affected his life. Alright then. Thanks, Dalton, for Thanks, that. Michelle. We'll see you guys next time on Dystopian Worlds. Welcome to Dystopian Worlds Podcast. I'm Rochelle. And I'm Damon. And we're just going to talk about the conflicts and the competing notions of utopian societies. Okay, um, so one of our conflicts is in the book Maze Runner. Main character Thomas is in a maze. He just got delivered to the maze where his friends have been there for years. And he, they all lost their memories, so they don't have memory of their parents, childhood, or anything like that. But now they're trying to escape and go through the maze, even though there's dangerous creatures and other things where it makes it dangerous to try to escape. Oh, so in your book, um, is there different stages to the maze, or just one big Well, maze? in the middle, there's like, it's like half forest. Kind of. So there's like woods and they cut down the trees and stuff for resources and supplies because they're left with nothing. And so they create all their supplies. Is the main character Thomas on his own or does he have help from his friends? Um, no, he has help from his friends, but he had to earn their trust first because everything started going south as soon as he got there. Um, well, in my book, Jonas, um, he has a ceremony. For every year you turn, there is a ceremony for that year you turn. So, um, there's like a ceremony of one, two, three, four, five, so on, until you're 12. He is on his ceremony of 12, and he has a number. They're calling up each kid's number to assign them their assignment, which is like their job. And Jonas had been skipped over, and he felt like he wanted to die in that moment. He was really embarrassed and he just hated it. So, and they just kept going. They didn't acknowledge it. And everybody in the audits knew that they skipped over him, but the um, person that was calling out their numbers didn't realize it until the very end. But eventually they did figure out that Jonas had been skipped and he had the most important job in the society, which is the receiver of memories. And that basically means that there's a bunch of generations from before he can get memories from there from the current receiver of memories and that's another conflict it can it can provide pain and it would mess up your brain and it's just a whole ordeal that jonas cannot deal with like he doesn't know what snow is he doesn't know what sunshine is he can't see colors but he's been starting to see the color red because he can see beyond which is another perk of being the receiver of memory so that's a conflict in my book what birthday did you say they skipped or you uh they skipped jonas 19. he's he was number 19 born as a 12. so he's he got skipped over um so um our next question is what how do competing notions of what a utopian society looks like can lead to conflict and I think that can lead to conflict because people don't have the same views of what a perfect society should look like. Everybody has a different view. So if people lived in one big society, it would just have a lot of problems. So, yeah. Because nothing really is perfect, ever. Everybody has a different view. Right, you know, something that could be non-perfect is, you know, Everybody would have to like the same food, and everybody doesn't like the same food. Exactly. Or somebody, you know, has to, everybody has to sleep on the same amount of bed sheets, or 
Yeah, the same pillow, a lot of people can't do that. And exactly. find it comfortable. Nobody really, everybody doesn't like the same exact thing. Alright. So, yeah. So, um, one of my questions are, uh, who is your top three favorite characters in the book? I think my first favorite character is Jonas, mostly because he's the main character, and he... He, uh, um, it's Jonas because he's the main character and he goes through a lot. He's a very smart kid. He's not like everybody else in the society. And that's why he's one of my first favorite character. My second favorite probably would be his little sister, Lily, because she's just adventurous. She's pretty clueless, but she, I'm pretty sure she will grow up to be a really good, at whatever her assignment will be. And then my other favorite character is um, probably Fiona, because she's one of Jonas's best friends. She's very calm. She loves taking care of people, and I think she's just a pretty good character. Okay. Another question I have is, um, any, anybody die? Um, actually, no. I don't know. I did not read them. Nobody has died yet so far. Um, so yeah. Um, what has been your favorite part of your book so far? Um, well, since, um, um, I guess my favorite part of the book would be, you know, when they're trying to escape, you know, they gotta go through a lot of action and adventure and horror to, you know, get through the maze. So you would say that, like, all the parts where they're just trying, like, a bunch of action parts would be, like, your favorite part? Yeah. Okay. So, my favorite part of my book so far would probably be when Jonas is receiving a memory from the receiver of memories. He's transferring the memory of Snow into Jonas's mind because he's never seen Snow before. He it, it had a lot of descriptive details in it, saying that he felt the cold air on his face, and then the falling of the crystals on it, and he saw, he saw a sled where he just slid down, and none of this is happening for real, but he I really liked that scene. It was really nice. Okay. Um. Well, thanks for tuning into Dystopian Podcast, and uh, hope you join in next time. This was Damon. This was our show. So, I hope you guys join us next time. Bye. Bye.